going to be in Proverbs chapter 24 to begin this, I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 14 to begin this morning, and uh, we felt it would be appropriate to look at Proverbs 14 and verse uh, 34 as we are here on this 4th of July weekend, and uh, desiring uh, really to um, just see what God would have to say as believers in Christ about the responsibility that you and I share as followers of Jesus, uh, as those that are desiring to please him and to honor him. Uh, We are currently living, as you don't have to uh, really look too hard to see, in a politically divided nation. Uh, We are also living uh, in a nation where there's division, not just from political viewpoints, but from just life viewpoints. Uh, And even within the church, uh, there are a lot of divisive issues and a lot of varying viewpoints and stances on a number of different things that are facing our society today and our culture today. And so my desire this morning, our desire this morning in opening God's word is not to make any kind of political statement or to put ourselves in any kind of political camp, but rather to look at the Bible and take a biblical stance, a biblical point of view and honor God. And uh, so what I want to share this morning, although some may consider to be at times controversial, it's not controversial because there's a question about what God says. It's controversial because there are so many varying opinions in society today that ultimately next to what God says doesn't really matter if we're honest. Uh, What you and I think about varying issues uh, really doesn't matter in comparison with what God says. And so sometimes we can get those things backwards and sometimes we can be so guilty, all of us, of backing or uplifting a particular point of view because of a particular party or particular entity that we support or follow and to be consistent or at least try to be consistent, we feel like we can't support all that God says, but that should not be the case for believers in Christ. And I know in looking out here even this morning, we have Republicans and Democrats, Libertarians and Independents. Uh, I don't care (laughs) what political party you are affiliated with. I'm asking you this morning not to listen for your particular talking point, but rather listen to what God says in his word. And then you can make your judgment about what it is you feel God wants you to do and respond to. So Proverbs chapter 14 Verse 34, very simply it says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Would you read that with me? If you have it in front of you, it's on the screen. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Now, Proverbs is a collection of wisdom literature and wise sayings and principles that are generally true and that should be followed, and there's truth in all of these Proverbs that we would read in the book of Proverbs, and this is one that just makes sense and that we can see as truthful. If we look at anything that we want to look at historically, if we look at anything as it relates to God's word, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So therefore, you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, because that is reality and that is true, should be seeking righteousness. In our daily living. Uh, this past uh, weekend, yesterday, we were over my, my parents' house and we were having a cookout. And I remember walking outside yesterday 
at one point during the day, and my dad had just put the steaks on the grill that he was cooking. And they were just starting to cook, and you know that smell when the steaks are cooking on the grill. If you like steak, you know that smell, and, and you think, ah, yeah. Like you can't, you can't wait for dinner time, right? When you smell that steak cooking on the grill, and it's sizzling, and you smell that, and you get a whiff of that, it gets you hungry. How many of you know that smell? How many of you enjoy that smell? And so don't hate the person next to you if they're meat eaters, and don't hurt the pizza next to you if they're not. Get all political there. We can even see we can even do that with, with whether or not we're going to eat meat or not. But, but when you bake steak and that smell, if you like steak, that smell hits your nostrils. You, you're hungry. You, you like that smell. And maybe even if you're grilling something, it brings you back in time to, to when you were growing up or a kid or another uh, time that, that a smell triggers something that is, brings a smile to your face. Or it makes you think, man, that was just great. And, and, and you're looking forward to it. We were driving home yesterday, one of my daughters was in the car with me, and I rolled the windows down, and you could smell uh, all of the, the fireworks smell. You know, after you light fireworks, and that smell lingers in the air, and we could smell that. And it brought me back, like in time, like when I was a kid, and remembering that smell, it like triggered that, that memory in my mind. So we're, we're familiar with those things that are a, a aroma to us that is pleasant, or that, that causes us to think something positive, or remember something that we enjoyed or positive. But we also have those, those things that, that trigger our memory that are not so pleasant. I remember as a kid in elementary school, uh, we ordered uh, pizza, white pizza with black olives on it. Uh, some of you might like that. Some of you were like, why would anybody do that? And, uh, but it was white pizza, black olives. And I remember eating that pizza that day. And later on that evening, I got sick, like throw up sick. And, uh, and, and I remember... That that happened, I remember the smell of the pizza and the black olives on the pizza. And to this day, as a 39-year-old man, if I go somewhere and someone has white pizza with black olives and I can smell the olives on the pizza, it like makes my stomach like churn because I, I get immediately taken back to that moment that I had that pizza and got sick. It's crazy, 30 years later, that that still is something in my mind that brings me back. And, and you know those things, some are pleasing and some are not some are are disgusting to us that's what i think of when i think about this verse of righteousness exalts a nation and sin being a reproach to any people we need to understand that god has made clear in his word that righteous living the pursuing of righteous living living holy lives living in a way in a manner that is pleasing to god is a sweet smelling aroma to god god is pleased with that but sin is disgusting in his sight. It's repulsive to him. And so when we think about this Proverbs 14.34, righteousness exalting a nation and sin being a reproach to any people, it should go without question that as believers in Jesus Christ, we should be all about righteousness. Righteousness here, the word means justice. Righteous acts, right living before God and according to God, moral virtue before God, living, acting in a way that is pleasing to God, that is right before God, that is according to God's values and God's morals. That word reproach in the passage, it means literally a wicked thing, that which should bring pity. You see, where we as believers should be falling not into the bringing a reproach, which is what sin does. 
but it's righteousness which is pleasing to God. Earlier on, just a couple chapters in Proverbs, Proverbs 11, verses 8 to 11, the writer says, The righteous is delivered from trouble, and the wicked walks into it instead. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. But by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Don't miss what is said in Proverbs 11. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. Righteousness exalts a nation, and yet sin is a reproach to any people. So with that in mind, I want to give us first two truths to consider this morning. Two truths to understand. First, Believers in Christ should be marked by righteous living. Believers in Christ should be marked by righteous living. We should be living rightly before God. We should be living in a manner that is pleasing to God. We should value what God values. Love what God loves. Uphold what God would uphold. Stand for what God stands for. These things should not be controversial amongst the believer in Jesus Christ. The prophet Micah in Micah 6.8, a verse that people put all over the place, in their homes. They frame it. They put it everywhere. Micah 6.8, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. As believers in Jesus Christ, righteous living should mark our lives. We should be living in a way that's pleasing to Him. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul the Apostle, he's writing to believers in Christ and he's pleading and imploring with them to live in a manner that is pleasing to God. And listen to what he says in Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Paul identifies himself at the very beginning of the chapter by saying, I am a prisoner for the Lord. I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Stop right there. Listen to what he says here. He says, I'm urging you, I am pleading with you, I'm imploring with you, walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Walk worthy of the name by which you call yourself. If you're here today and you say you are a follower of Christ, then walk worthy of that. Measure up. Live up to that name by which we call ourselves. My daughter's got me a a t-shirt for Father's Day a couple weeks ago. And the t-shirt says, best dad ever. Best dad ever. I've worn it a couple times. i got to be honest with you, when I wear it, part of me thinks in my mind, like when I wear it, man, I hope people like know that like, I didn't buy this for myself. Because <laughs> I'm walking around and be like, yeah, best dad ever. Right? But I didn't buy it for myself. My daughter's bought it for me. But it's one of those things that when I wear it, I think like, man, I, I got I to gotta measure up here. I'm wearing a shirt that says best dad ever while I'm yelling at my kids, like I'm being mean to my kids. I'm not going to do that. If I'm not showing them love and and, and grace and compassion and correction when needed and loving them in a manner that I should, then that shirt shouldn't be worn by me. 
How much of greater value is it that if we call ourselves a follower of Jesus Christ, that our actions, words, desires of our hearts live up to that calling? See, that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He's calling on the believer for this. He goes on, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Listen, our God is over all. He is God. I am not. He is God. You are not. And so we must value the things that God says Above what we think, we must value the things that God has said over what anybody else thinks. What God says matters more. And it's a terrible position that the church so often finds itself in that those that call themselves the church, those that call themselves followers of Christ, are so quick to dismiss what God says for what culture says. There are quote unquote preachers. Who say that they are preaching and are from God. And yet what they're spewing out of their mouth is garbage. Because it's not in accordance with what God said. And how quickly believers in Christ are to latch on to what sounds good. Rather than what is righteous. And we must not be guilty of that church. We must value above all else what our God says. We must as believers be marked by righteous living. According to what God says. And not according to what anybody else says. Later on in that same passage. Paul would say in Ephesians 4, I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Listen, look at me right now. Everybody look up here. If you are in Christ Jesus, you have been called to live a life of holiness and righteousness through the power that God gives. If you don't know Christ as Savior, you cannot do that. Contrary to what many people want to preach and say today, you and I are not good enough as we are to do anything that merits the favor of God. We need Jesus. And apart from Him, you and I are dead in our sin. Paul calls on them, he says, I call you to put off the old and put on the new, to walk in true righteousness 
and in true holiness. That word holiness, the word holy means to be set apart from that which is evil and sinful, from that which God hates, from that which God disdains. Listen, as a believer in Christ today, we must be quick to set ourselves apart from sin and seek to honor Him. Seek to honor the Lord. And it's tragic, it's sad when those that call themselves believers in Jesus Christ latch back on to the sin that once characterized our lives and once enslaved us. It doesn't make any sense that we who have been made alive would continue to live as though we are dead. That is who we once were, but that is not who we are now. We are now in Christ. My youngest daughter, Leah, she has a, a babby, a passy that she, that she has when she goes to sleep. And, and sometimes when she's like cranky during the day or she needs a nap, she'll ask for it. And what's funny about it is sometimes we have no idea where that thing is, but she like has like a tracking device. Like she knows wherever that passy is in our house. And so like she'll be in one room, but she's like, I want my passy. I'm like, honey, I don't know where it is. And she'll be like, oh, okay, I know where it is. And she'll start, she'll go run in the other room and it could be like in the most obscure place and she knows right where it's at. She'll grab the thing and pop it in her mouth and she'll be like, she sucks on it and she does this noise and she'll go, like that when she sucks on it. Now she's like really little. Like I don't tell her yet. I'm like, honey, grow up. Like I don't tell her that. Because she's so young. But if my soon-to-be 13-year-old daughter, Ella, was like, I want a baby, I want a passy, I'd have a problem with that. Say, honey, you're not, you're not a baby. That's something you once did. That's something you want to, but no longer. See, this is what Paul is calling on the believer to understand. There were things that once characterized our lives when we were dead in our sin. That is not who we are any longer. We are now in Christ. We should be walking and living in true righteousness and true holiness. Secondly, unbelievers will be marked by sinful living. Just as the truth remains that a believer should be marked by righteous living, understand that unbelievers will be marked by sinful living. You and I are fooling ourselves if we are holding out hope that the one who has rejected Christ as Savior will live righteously in the world in which we find ourselves living. It's not going to happen. Those that are not belonging to Christ, those that are unbelievers will be marked by sinful living. Jesus said this, John chapter 8, 42 to 47, Jesus is speaking to those religious leaders that were saying he was not from God. They were actually saying, you're from the, you're from the devil. You're not from God. You have an evil spirit in you. They were asking him, who is your father? This is what Jesus replied to them. If God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came out of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Here's what Jesus says here. Jesus said, if you were from God, if you truly loved God, you would love me because I am from him. And there's not a single person walking the face of this earth that can truthfully say that they truly love God and yet reject Christ. Both cannot be true. And so if we say we love Jesus Christ, what should follow that is righteous living. If those that have rejected Christ say they love God or say they are about God, they lie. Because you cannot love God and yet hate His Son. You cannot love God and yet reject His Son. 
So their lives will be marked by sinful living. John said this in his letter, 1 John chapter 3. He said, listen, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Instead, an unbeliever's life will be marked by sinful living. So these two truths are not controversial, at least they shouldn't be. That if you're a believer in Christ, you should be marked by righteous living. If you're not, I would ask you today to be sure that you know Christ. The unbeliever's life will be marked by sinful living. If your life is marked by sinful living, repeatedly sinful living, there's no presence of righteousness in your life, there's no presence of obedience in your life, I would ask you to be sure that you know Christ the Savior. But from these two truths, I believe then, are two responsibilities to recognize this morning. Two responsibilities. First of all, the church should be purveyors of righteousness. The church should be purveyors of righteousness. This should not be hard for us to understand. As the church, we should be pursuing, advocating, modeling righteousness in our living. Our actions, our words, our deeds, our thoughts should be in pursuit of righteous living before our holy God. We know and believe that our God sees, knows, hears, and is present. We know and believe that our God will not allow the wicked to go unpunished. He will not allow the righteous to go on suffering without end. And so as believers in Jesus Christ, the church should be purveyors of righteousness. Righteousness is that which we should be pursuing as God's children. And so let me make a few statements this morning in regards to the current climate we find as a society amongst us. Some responsibilities I believe that the church should be, have, have in our lives. Some pro-statements that I believe the church should have true of them as followers of Jesus Christ. And I do not believe, according to God's word, that any one of these statements should be considered to be controversial, although some might be. And I would preface these statements by telling you, if you have a problem with what God says in his word about these things, your problem is not with me. It's with God. And so listen to these statements that I believe God very clearly would want every believer to be in regards to purveyors of righteousness. Number one, we as believers in Jesus Christ should be pro-life. Pro-life. Now, oftentimes when people hear that statement, they immediately think of abortion. They immediately think that what we're saying by pro-life is that we should be anti-abortion. I am not telling you that I am anti-abortion. I'm telling you I am pro-life, which, yes, that means I am anti-abortion, as you should be. But pro-life is much more than just the life of the unborn. And absolutely, we should be those that would speak out against abortion. We should be against the taking of any life. Pro-life. But that also means we are pro-black, pro-white, pro-young, pro-old, pro-male, pro-female. We are for life because God is for life. He is the creator of life. The giver of life, the sustainer of life. This begins with those that are not yet born who are being formed and being knit together in their mother's womb to the most elderly among us and everyone in between. As a believer in Christ, as those that are purveyors of righteousness, we must be the most pro-life 
people walking the face of this earth. Because our God is a God of life. And so I uphold the life and the value of every man and woman and child. I uphold the life and value of the preborn. Why? Because my God does. And we should as believers. And if you have a problem with that, you have a problem with God. And I do not want to be in your shoes. We should be pro-biological sex and pro-heterosexual marriage. We should be pro-biological sex and pro-heterosexual marriage. That should not be a controversial statement. And yet, sadly, even in quote-unquote the church, many make that a controversial statement. And my response to that is, that's just too bad for you. Because God is clear. In Genesis chapter 1, he said, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We should be pro-biological sex Male and female, because that is what God has created. And we should be pro-heterosexual marriage, because that's the intent of God, is that for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Paul would say, let every man have his own wife and every wife have her own husband. That's it, folks. And if you have differing opinions on that, your problem's not with me, it's with God. And again, I do not want to be in your shoes. Because God has made this very clear. Next, we should be pro-justice for all. Pro-justice for all. Our God is a just God. Our God has called us to care for those who can't care for themselves. He's called us to stand up for the weak, to provide for the poor, to speak up against evil. No matter who it is that is producing or is supporting the evil or injustice that may be happening, as believers in Christ, we should be those that stand against injustice. Because our God is a just God. And so we need to be making that abundantly clear. And again, if you have a problem with that, your problem is not with me, your problem is with God. Our God is just. Next, We should be pro-law and order because God is the one who sets order. Our God is a God of order. Now, unfortunately, in the day and age in which we live, when people say we're pro-law and order or uh, pro-police or uh, pro-law and order, people automatically pigeonhole it into a political belief. There's nothing political about saying that we are pro-law and order because our God is a God of law and order. So God says in Romans chapter 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There's no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. Our God is a God of order. Our God has established and set government and law in order in place 
for the benefit of the citizens of that nation or those under that rule for law and order. And as believers in Christ, we should be all about that. Because that is a mark of our God. Finally, we should be pro-love, but through the lens of God's truth. Pro-love, but through the lens of God's truth. Love people. Love all people. Care for all people, pray for all people. But sadly today, many people associate loving all people with something that does not mean loving all people at all. It is not loving and kind for me to tell you that you're okay in your sin. It is not loving and kind for me to say I support whatever decision you want to make that is contrary to what God's word says because you are bringing on yourself the wrath of almighty God. That is not love. God has called us to love all, yes, but he's called us to be a preacher of righteousness, a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to love in accordance and through the lens of God's truth. This should not be controversial for the believer in Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Christ today, you should be a purveyor of righteousness. You should be pro-life, pro-all life pro-biological sex and pro-heterosexual marriage, pro-justice for all, pro-law and order as those that God has put in a position to serve and to bring order over us, pro-love through the lens of God's truth. Now let me say something I think that is important this morning. If you and I as believers are supporting any movement, organization, cause, any cultural entity, that is unapologetically opposed to the things of God, then we need to check our motivations and our decisions. No matter if they fall into the category of conservative or liberal or anything in between, if we are supporting any faction, entity, movement, or cause that stands on principles or has purposes that are contrary to the very righteous principles that God has laid out in his word, we have a problem then, church. Because we should be the most pro-Bible people walking the face of this earth. And we don't apologize for the things that God has said because God is God and we are not. And what God says matters more. And although it would seem to be an impossibility to be all of the above, at the same time, according to the political entities that are in our world today, they would say you can't be pro-God and yet pro-love. You can't be you can't be pro-God's word and truth and yet be pro-love or value of all people. And I would answer that with saying, yes, we can. Yes, we can be. Because God is very clear in his word. Purveyors of righteousness. And I'm going to close by real quickly telling you that as believers, the church should be preachers of repentance. Preachers of repentance. Listen. There's enough preaching going on today, which is false, that everybody is just fine before God. Everybody's not fine before God. There's enough preaching that says, believe whatever you want to believe, and you'll get there. No, you won't. Unless the there is the lake of fire where you will be tormented for all of eternity as the wrath of God is poured out. You're not going to get there apart from Christ. So much of our world today is lost. 
So much of our nation is lost. So many of our neighbors, coworkers, families, and friends are lost. So many of our politicians and political leaders are absolutely lost. The only hope for anyone in this world today is Jesus Christ. The only hope for anyone today in this world is to repent of sin and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved. That is the only hope. That's the message. This is the message. Repent and believe the gospel so that you might be saved. This is the message. Turn from your sin, which by the way, you won't, you can't. Unless our God intervenes, we're hopeless and lost. But praise God that this truth remains today, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes it. I hope you believe that today. And I ask as a church, how are we doing on that? See, before we invest our time, our money, our energy, in our influence on political matters, before we invest our words, our thoughts, or our actions on a political message or political movement, before we dedicate our social media accounts, our conversations to social matters, might we invest our time, our energy, our influence, our words, and our actions to the gospel of Jesus Christ? For what does it profit a man or a nation to gain the whole world but lose their own soul? So where are we at as a church? If you and I get more excited or motivated or speak up quicker about something going on culturally or socially that moves us than we do the gospel of Christ, we're in error. Because only Jesus Christ can transform and only through Christ is their life. Might we be about righteousness as the church? Might we care more about what God says than what man says? Might we care more about the souls of men and the eternal destiny of men than the temporary life that we find ourselves living today? To God be the glory now and forever in his church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We're thankful that you, out of your mouth, Lord, speak truth. We thank you that everlasting to everlasting, you are God and we are not. And so, God, I pray that you would help us today as believers to check ourselves before you, to recognize we are nothing without you. We don't have anything to say. We don't have anything to offer. We have nothing good within us to bring to the table. We need you. God, America needs you. Our nation needs you. Our church needs you. The world needs you. And it's only through Christ that life change happens. And so I pray today that you would stir your church, God, to be about the gospel above all else. That we would decrease and you might increase. For your glory and your honor, in Jesus' name, amen.